everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Today we begin our program with a special in-depth analysis and investigation into what I personally consider one of the most problematic and challenging issues that we have faced, and it's only going to get worse if what I'm going to discuss becomes a matter of law. It's about the World Health Organization and its new treaty. It could lead to worldwide tyranny, where individual countries' sovereignty to make up its own health policies, especially in a so-called pandemic or epidemic, would revert back to the World Health Organization. Now, the World Health Organization's institutional transparency and public perception have been very problematic during the past couple of decades. Many critics perceive the World Health Organization as a dire threat to global health and the sovereignty of nations' domestic health policies. The organization largely operates under a veil of secrecy. It is not uncommon for leaked information from the World Health Organization's internal affairs and closed-door meetings to contradict its sugar-coated public statements to the media. Unfortunately, it is our opinion that the media has been complacent, if not cooperating, acting more like a public relations outlet for the World Health Organization rather than challenging them in the appropriate manner. Now, regardless of whether you view the COVID-19 pandemic as a natural and very real global health threat, or as an orchestrated release of a human-engineered virus to enforce Western nations to usurp greater social control over their populations, in either scenario, the United States, the World Health Organization, the United Kingdom, and many European nations performed dismally in a scientifically valid pandemic response. They failed at every level. Both our CDC, our FDA, our U.S. Public Health Service that oversees all of these agencies, the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, all failed. Looking back objectively and honestly, and then looking at what they stated and what we ended up experiencing are completely different. Consequently, and in light of global pandemic unpreparedness, the World Health Organization, in alignment with Western nations, began undertaking a major overhaul of existing legally binding global health policies and rules and regulations. New amendments to the World Health Assembly's International Health Regulation Treaty and the creation of the World Health Organization's Pandemic Treaty, and that's what we're talking about now, have raised alarms worldwide among politicians, public health professionals, and even health policy advocates, but not in the mainstream media. It has not been discussed at all, nor is it an issue for the average person. Ask the average person, can you tell me anything about the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty? And they'll say, what's that? And if you start to go through some of the particulars of how all health decisions are now going to be made by that organization, and then see how political it's been in the past, how wrong it's been on numerous occasions from the H1N1 virus and many other so-called outbreaks and pandemics and epidemics, they've been wrong consistently and highly politicized and highly influenced by financial donations. So then the person says, what does that have to do with me, Gary? I'm just living my life trying to make ends meet, not always easy. Or those who are making more than ends meet, 
are living a very good life and are succeeding in their careers. They have a high standard of living. And they think that, well, this is not important. I'm going to let the official agencies of government handle this. I have no knowledge of this, but you should, because this is coming at us right now as I speak. There is an effort underway to lobby through the media, all governments of the world, to accept that only the World Health Organization will have absolute supreme and sovereignty control over everything happening in the future in any form of pandemic or epidemic or major health outbreak. It is draconian what they're suggesting in their rules, but how many people have read the rules? What do you want to bet if we went to 5,000 colleges and universities in the United States, gave a copy of their pandemic treaty to every single professor, including in public health sciences, international affairs, and ask, do you believe that this organization, based upon its background, should be sovereign over all American institutions? Mind you, when this treaty, if it is signed by the United States, then the United States no longer has the power in any of these epidemic or pandemic situations to dictate what should be done. Even if we have the truth, even if our own scientists, public health officials, medical doctors say this is what we should do, that is irrelevant. They will have supreme, almost a super intellectual and proprietary nova power over all of us. So that's why I'm doing this special today, this investigation. Now, the pandemic treaty and the IHR, which is the pandemic's um, footprint, would tighten the existing enforcement of nations' behavior and policies during pandemic responses. It entrusts the World Health Organization with overreaching powers that undermine national sovereignty, including the final word on health and vaccine passports and testing and tracing. But what if you live in a state like Texas, South Dakota, um, Florida, where they say and have said, you don't have to have a vaccine passport. You don't have to have mandatory vaccine. We're not going to test you and, and trace you. And you can use any permissible medical treatments from vitamin C to ivermectin. Whatever you want to use, you have the right to use it. All that would be gone. And you say, but our state, the state does not have sovereign power over this treaty. The treaty would supersede all, 100% of American laws, including our own Supreme Court. That's how dangerous this is. And yet people are unaware of that, including our entire medical industrial complex. So do you want the World Health Organization, if you've done your homework, to have all this power over you? And what if there's not really another pandemic, as there was a pandemic only of, only of those who are most susceptible at risk with multiple age and comorbidity factors, but not for the average person. And that has been proven repeatedly. But what if you were told, we believe that there's a real pandemic or epidemic and every person in the United States, no matter what their age or health condition, must be tracked, must have proof that they've had all the vaccines and boosters on a bi-monthly basis indefinitely. They have that power. They have the power to lock you down they have the power to keep you from crossing a border. 
they have a power to create quarantine zones, as New York is trying to do right now. Rather than functioning as a council proposing recommendations, the World Health Organization could be a dictator over a nation's emergency response. It would strengthen the pharmaceutical industry's intellectual property rights for diagnostics, drugs, and vaccines. And the World Health Organization would pay itself 20% for, quote, pandemic-related products, end quote. Even worse, lower-income nations would find themselves economically subservient to wealthy nations that would threaten their domestic health security. Finally, the treaty would be anchored in the United Nations Health Agency's constitution and endow the World Health Organization with policing policies and the authority to impose judicial, yes, judicial charges against nations who the World Health Organization feels violate the treaty's rules. This could even include the imposition of international sanctions against a country. According to the Human Rights Watch, the treaty has come under strong attack by human rights organizations for failing to enshrine core human rights protections under international law. It completely slaps that aside. The good news is that during the last World Health Assembly in May of 2022, with the majority of 194 member nations participating, the World Health Organization confronted a surprising backlash. Although there was no formal vote, 47 of the 54 African nations and all five of the original BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and others rejected the treaty's amendments. At the time, Brazil threatened to leave the assembly if the treaty were to be approved. This has pushed the World Health Organization against the wall since a formal vote in May of 2024 coming up in less than six months will require a two-thirds majority. Now, given the events during the past year, the weakening of the U.S. global prestige, the West's debacle in Ukraine, Europe's economic crisis, and the expansion and influence of BRICS, meaning Brazil, Russia, India, China, uh, South Africa, and China, plus now Saudi Arabia, Mexico, uh, Argentina, and the United Arab Emirates, and another 21 countries wanting to come on board and belong to BRICS, the present trends seem to indicate it will be a very difficult uphill battle for the World Health Organization to get the treaty passed. But remember, they have enormous influence. After all, think of it this way. You've heard of, you've heard of the Davos Group. Well, that's the World Economic Forum. You've heard of the World uh, Trade or Institution Organization. You, you've heard of, well, you've heard of uh, the Economic Councils the North Atlantic Council. These are small groups compared to the power that the World Economic Forum exercises over all these groups interlocking. So they have a lot of people on the inside who are going to be lobbying governments and policymakers and the media to try to get this through. However, the pandemic treaty also exposes deeper nefarious motivations in my opinion, by the Western nations and the World Health Organization itself to demand attention. Although many critics of both the World Health Organization and China have accused the two operating in cahoots together, 
China's rebuking of the treaty has left some mouths open. Other critics wrongly associate the World Health Organization treaty as a China project because of China's past support for the World Health Organization's current Director General, Tedros. But that relationship seems to have soured after the World Health Organization reapproached, criticized China's zero COVID policy and regulations. Therefore, the treaty may be best understood from several competing motivations by different players. On the one hand, the World Health Organization represents the worst of the transnational globalist intentions to grab control from sovereign nations. The World Health Organization, in effect, is the informal servant of the World Economic Forum's stakeholder vision of a global unipolar architecture to write and control all rules that will lead to humanity in the future, meaning total control over every aspect of your life. And it's already happening. It's been happening piece by piece. And as a result, we have not paid attention to how it impacts us directly. It will. Second, the Western nations, notably the United States and European Union, which are already most aligned with the World Health Organization and the UN, may benefit from the treaty's harsh policing policies on other nations. Penalties for violating a treaty's rules can ideally serve as an economic weapon against nations on America's enemies list, such as China, Iran, and Russia. For example, if during a future pandemic, China or Russia decided to enact their own pandemic response measures that may contradict the rules of the World Health Organization Treaty, economic sanctions, or perhaps bank and investment freezes could be enforced. And since the United States has always been slap-happy, to impose sanctions on any country that turns its nose up to Americans' demands and threats, what sane nation outside the United States' sphere of control would agree to ratify a draconian treaty? It shouldn't be difficult to understand the BRICS' rejection of the pandemic treaty. As the most vital emerging economic bloc in the world, spearheading a multipolar order to challenge globalist unipolar an underlying principle in the BRICS economic development and trade relations and is respect for each other nation's sovereignty. Be a part of our group. We'll trade together. We'll work together. We'll build infrastructures like trains all over the, our countries, getting product and people from one place to another at high speed and done quickly. And we can build factories. So the BRICS are creating a new Silk Road, as they call it, bringing, bringing a lot of new money into a country and employment and some financial security. The United States is doing that nowhere. National sovereignty and the BRICS reluctance to interfere in the political affairs and culture of a nation is diametrically opposed to a treaty basically written and enforced by unelected officials in an international organization with a terrible, a dreadful track record in upholding the mandate to protect public health. It has done none of the above. It doesn't protect our health. It challenges it. Just look at their missteps when it came to COVID. The third important player in the pandemic treaty is Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Gates' Gavi 
Vaccine Alliance, on which the World Health Organization is one of its four permanent board members, interlocking boards again. Other friendly observers in the pandemic planning include Gates' funded Global Fund and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, or CEPI. Besides China, Director General Tedros got his World Health Organization job from Gates' backing. For Gates, the treaty is largely an expansion of his financial philanthropic interest and investments. In my opinion, it serves as a backdoor to his own global empire. Gates has publicly stated his admiration for the Chinese Communist Party's draconian zero-COVID policy that terrorized millions of citizens in China and deprived them of their human rights. It is important to realize that in Gates's topsy-turvy universe, humans, in my opinion, simply serve technology and his own financial interests. Gates is the exemplar of French sociologist Jacques Delulo's prophetic warnings of the dehumanization and mechanization of humanity in order to further drive technological process and capital profits. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Gates took the opportunity to expand his influence over international responses by creating odd organizations such as Act Accelerator, a public-private partnership, and his vaccine enterprise, COVAX, acting parallel to the World Health Organization's early backdoor strategic efforts to write amendments to the IHAR and begin the design of a pandemic treaty. Gates' new ventures were mandated to develop a new structure for an international response specifically for COVID, according to Health Policy Watch, because this was a plan of action created and funded by the world's most renowned so-called, quote, humanitarian altruist, end quote, government's complacency supported his efforts. Everyone cheered Bill Gates. Why don't you take a step back? Why don't you just be objective and honest and take a look at all the things Bill Gates says, for example, that we will only help ourselves through this pandemic if all seven-plus billion people on the planet are vaccinated. He didn't make exceptions. He was wrong. In fact, look at his statements concerning the pandemic. Look at his participation in the pandemic. Look at how many millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars he made from the pandemic. And then ask yourself, can I really have confidence in this man's judgment? Is he, he didn't even graduate from college. He has no background that would support his having the power and authority that he does. And yet, he gives a lot of money away And when you give money away to the media, highly unlikely the media is going to be objective in looking at all the things you've done, including your mistakes. The architecture and the goals and motivation of the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty are clearly anti-democratic and violate basic human rights. As the second largest World Health Organization funder, Bill Gates is really in a position of uniqueness. We should reevaluate everything that he does and what does his money gain him. Look at all the grants and the credit lines, the new ventures and the partnerships in a similar light, but no one will do that. For example, his foundation has donated to the neoconservative warmongering 
Council of Foreign Relations Global Health Program to chart global disease outbreaks and provide analysis to governments, policymakers, and business leaders. Despite the apparent benefits of mapping the course of infectious diseases like measles, pertussis, polio, and others, this program is not professionally peer-reviewed. The program is largely based upon anecdotal evidence and offers no science-based analysis or solutions for confronting real-time health risks. Mind you, who was it in our society and worldwide who said this should not be, with COVID, this test should not be used as a diagnostic tool? They all said it should be. They were wrong. So we had a massive amount of false positive people who then were told, you're a case, you have COVID, even if they didn't. Then we had, don't get treated, stay at home. And only when you start suffering acute conditions do you go to an emergency room. And then we used the wrong therapy with intubation therapy and respirators. That was counterproductive. Then the drug we used was very dangerous and had a 54% mortality rate when it was used on the Ebola virus in Africa. Yet that was the drug of choice. And what about the tens of thousands of physicians and scientists who said, build up the person's immune system and the average person will not die. And that's exactly what we saw. Oh, except for the vaccines. And there we have, as of, as of today, with the information that was very conservative, because it was based upon the Vaccine Adverse report, uh, Event Reporting System of the FDA, and followed by the CDC, that from Dr. Jessa Rose, 500,000 dead Americans, 1.6 million permanently injured, and 14 million injured. And that's just in the United States. And that's a conservative figure. No one apologized. No one changed their policies. The same policies we were using at the height of COVID we're still using today. And who was it who showed us that building the immune system and early intervention with ivermectin, azithromycin, and uh, vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin D, 3, zinc, and uh, quercetin, and, uh, and hydroxychloroquine would stop it, and it did, and hundreds of studies showed it. And who attacked those same studies and said, don't do it? The very people who are in alignment with the World Health Organization. So Bill Gates's role in the research and development of new vaccines and efforts behind global vaccination campaigns are well known. But for those of you who are not aware of this, in 2012, Bill Gates called upon the global health community to inaugurate a decade of vaccines. For Gates, vaccines, vaccines were everything. And he called them, quote, God's work, end quote, and quote, a miracle, end quote, but also, quote, a fantastic investment, end quote. On that, I would agree. His determination to get every child fully vaccinated and to establish the infrastructure for a robust and everlasting treadmill to bring new vaccines into the market has become his personal mission. In his own words, he has stated that there is nothing, quote, to stop us succeeding, end quote. Yeah, Bill Gates, there is a lot stopping you from succeeding. Why don't you take an honest look at all the articles that I have written 
that are fully documented and none have been refuted for being inaccurate that show you that there's never been a safe vaccine, comparing it with a placebo, a saline solution. And why don't you look at all the individuals who've been damaged from the human papillomavirus, which should never have been released and is still on a mandatory schedule for all young girls. Take responsibility for the downside of your ideas, not just pontificating when you have succeeded financially. In 2000, the Gates Foundation founded GAVI, G-A-V-I, the Vaccine Alliance, and that organization's global fund for children's vaccines. GAVI is a global collaboration that includes governments, the World Health Organization, the Rockefeller Foundation, the World Bank, the International Far- Federation of Pharmaceutical Manufacturers, UNICEF, private vaccine companies, and other influential entities. Each has been a zealot vaccination promoter. The organization's mission is to vaccinate every child in Africa. In addition to donations and traditional grant giving, which is all the time, it also provides lines of credit. For example, the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative received $100 million in a line of credit to empower the nonprofit organization to influence HIV vaccine development within the vaccine industrial complex. Oh, by the way, there have been over 100 vaccine trials. Not one has worked. But Gates' vaccination mission has been overly enthusiastic and in some documented cases, clearly nefarious. Some of the Gates-funded vaccination projects have had very serious consequences that the media has refused to discuss. For example, in 2014, Gates Foundation funds went to experimental human papillomavirus vaccine trials in India. In joint collaboration with Glaxos and Merck that violated ethical standards, over 1,000 girls between the ages of 9 and 15 developed severe autoimmune diseases and fertility disorders. Seven girls died. The Gates Foundation faced a lawsuit by the Supreme Court of India following an investigation into the scandalous trial fraud. Have you heard about that? Has anyone gone back from the United States or the independent individuals to see what happened to those thousand girls in the last nine years? No. Anything uh, stick against Gates's uh, reputation? No. Gates' collaboration with India's National Technological Advisory Group resulted in a catastrophic a problem of unmonitored overlapping polio immunization programs triggering an epidemic of non-polio acute flaccid paralysis that affected 490,000 children. Gates' vaccine programs were forced to leave India. Cases of vaccine-derived polio now outnumber cases of wild polio. In lay language, more people in India are developing vaccine-related polio than from wild polio. Any problems there? Any bad publicity? That's a career ender if it were anyone else. No. In December 2012, in the small village of Goryo, G-O-U-R-O, Chad, on the edge of the Sahara Desert, 500 children were locked in their school and forced vaccinated with an unlicensed meningitis A vaccine. 
Students who refused would have their education terminated. These children were vaccinated without their parents' knowledge. During investigations, the entire operation was discovered to be run by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation through the World Health Organization and UNICEF's on-the-ground networks. Despite the coercion, the Gates Foundation statement to the press reported, quote, Menafravac is a tremendous success story for the global health community. It is the first vaccine developed specifically for Africa, and it proves that global partnerships can develop and deliver high-quality, low-cost vaccines, end quote. In 2010, the Foundation's support for Glaxo's experimental malaria vaccine trials killed 151 African infants and seriously injured another 1,000. Any problems? None. A tetanus vaccine administered to Kenyan women in childbearing years was laced with a human chrononic uh, G a hormone, which causes miscarriages and renders a woman sterile. The discovery was made by the Kenyan Catholic Doctors Association and UNICEF vaccine campaigns. Funding was tracked back to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Has anyone gone over the hundreds of thousands of girls that were of childbearing age to see if they're still sterile, can never have a child? No. Gates is also the major funder of the Vaccine Confidence Project with a mission to, quote, monitor public confidence in immunization programs by building an information surveillance system for early detection of public concerns around vaccines by applying a diagnostic tool to data collected to determine the risk level of public uh, concerns in terms of their potential to disrupt vaccine programs, and finally to provide analysis and guidance for early response and engagement with the public to ensure sustained confidence in vaccines and immunizations, end quote. In lay language, anyone who writes an article about how accurate and truthful the challenges vaccine safety and efficacy on any level is immediately called disinformation. Some of the world's greatest living scientists and physicians, some of the most published in the national peer review literature, top academics, people who have never had a controversy in their distinguished orthodox careers have now been completely erased. Their reputations destroyed because they questioned the COVID vaccines. And they were right. And yet they suffered. So now there are hundreds of organizations set up and funded frequently through back channels by pharmaceutical industries by the World Health Organization, by the World Economic Forum, and others that will monitor anything said that challenges their plans on any level. And so then they, in turn, have influence, undue influence over social media. And they, in turn, will block through their algorithms the truth from getting out. So if you want to know the truth about a particular vaccine and you Google it, you're only going to get with the vaccine makers and the organizations they're associated with want you to know. And it's all going to be positive, nothing ever negative. That's how it works. And yet they're able to brag about how much control they have or will have, but they only want one truth, their truth. Shortly after the World Health Organization officially announced the COVID-19 pandemic as a global threat, Gates announced he would spend billions of dollars to fund seven separate 
coronavirus vaccine development projects. The pandemic leveraged the Gates Foundation to emerge as the foremost leader in the vaccine industry's response to the crisis. Gates can gain free entrance into the offices and boardrooms of all the leading players savoring the opportunity to launch a fast-track vaccine with the hope it would become mandatory and reap astronomical revenues. How many of you realize that when a state mandates mandatory vaccines, every kid going to high school or college or grade school must take them or lose the benefit of going to school, that who are the people sitting at the state level? Well, we decided to do an investigation, and we looked at every single legislator in the state of California, including its chief sponsor, who said, yes, these vaccines should be mandatory no exceptions. As a result, it passed. Well, we had collected information to show you that every single one of those legislators had received money from the vaccine makers. The media did not talk about this. I believe that the good people of California would have seen that legislators were being unduly influenced by the money pouring into their pockets. I was about to break this story, along with a leading journalist, investigative journalist, um, on a station in California, Pacifica, and we were told that the program would be censored. And hence, we were not allowed to do the program. Censorship of important public health information that could have blocked the mandatory vaccine schedule in California. Now, would the people at Pacifica who blocked it like to contact each one of the students especially the young teenage girls in ideal health who now are crippled for life? Have you looked at the consequences of your actions? Of course not. So the one place that prides itself in freedom of speech is the one place that I personally have been censored repeatedly. That's why I left KPFK after 34 years and why I left PFW after 36 years. However, separate from that, the truth didn't get out. And the average person is not aware that they're being propagandized nonstop. Gates' honestly, honesty and integrity has always been questionable, in my opinion. Duplicity between his organization's actual financial investments and humanitarian funding are common. For example, frequently Gates has stated his opposition to big tobacco and claims he refused to invest or fund any organization and company contributing to smoking. Well then, would he please explain to us why it is alleged, based upon an investigation, uncovered the foundation investing in big tobacco for quite some time? If true, Bill, come forward and tell us that we're mistaken. Similarly, it is alleged behind his verbiage of tackling climate change and shifting to non-fossil fuel technologies at the TED conference. Bill, do you constantly fly in one of the largest private jets in the world? Do you have any idea what your carbon footprint is? You and John Kerry and so many other rich people? And by the way, how is it that you can all justify going to Davos, where all these CEOs and top industry people go, non-elected officials, well, there might be some, because they've gotten a lot of the people in corporate interest to go into government interest and then back into corporate interest. But they had to 
handle all these private jets. Why couldn't you have done all that by a Zoom call and saved all that carbon? Why is it you need to fly all over the world and yet you want to eliminate um, the industries immediately that, uh, that the average person has to use? Where's the transition from a polluting energy to a non-polluting? And where's your transition from flying in your private jet to using public transportation or Zoom calls. And also, have you not, a question for Bill Gates, have you not been a heavy investor in big oil, particularly ExxonMobil and British Petroleum? Perhaps those two could be considered amongst the two most corrupt companies in recent decades, ExxonMobil and British Petroleum. That's my opinion. And Bill Gates should be viewed as a billionaire investor in whatever persona he exhibits as a humanitarian and an admirable philanthropist should be held with a great deal of suspicion, in my opinion. As a philanthropic investor organization, the Gates Foundation, now with $67 billion endowment, aside from Gates' $117 billion personal fortune, has launched aggressive funding campaigns to essentially influence the world's leading international health agencies and organizations in order to advance the technologies. During his time as the president of Microsoft, Gates' reputation as an upstanding tech entrepreneur and genius was challenged during an annual anti or just an antitrust lawsuit. What Gates managed to achieve was to monopolize the PC operating system by leveraging what economists call network effects, which drive monopolization. According to Rob Larson, an economics professor at Tacoma College who writes about the corruption of Silicon Valley, and network effects are the ability to dominate a young market and take advantage of a product's rapid usage. In effect, a company is legally bribing customers' loyalty. In many respects, this is what, in my opinion, Gates has been doing in his faux philanthropy. Stories and accounts about Gates reveal this, in my opinion, man-child has a caustic and often crass personality. And why doesn't he have an open and extended conversation about all of his meetings and his personal friendship with uh, Jeffrey Epstein? And this is post Epstein's uh, uh, conviction. Personality-wise, it's no secret that Gates has been a difficult boss to many. He was known to be extremely critical, belligerent, sarcastic, and his anger would often degrade employees. He was a fierce taskmaster, as the Washington Post reported, and Fortune magazine listed him as, quote, an egotistical jerk, end quote, along with other billionaires such as Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos. Often he would vow to destroy competitors, it is alleged, and put them out of business, such as Apple, Netscape, Lotus, Sun Microsystems, etc. Temper tantrums involving yelling and fist-pounding were not uncommon spectacles during Microsoft's internal meetings, it is alleged. It is reported that at a dinner party, Gates bragged he possessed as much power as the president, and indeed he very likely has. Therefore, to call Gates a legitimate philanthropist 
in our opinion, is an oxymoron. The Greek word philanthropy means to love humanity. Is that what Bill Gates loves? Ask the people of Africa and India. They will give you a more objective response. Before embarking upon his philanthropic crusade, Gates' reputation took a beating in the media as a very unlikable person. As one commentator observed, quote, his philanthropy helped rebrand his name, end quote. Hence, Gates transformed himself into the gesture of a benevolent benefactor to human needs in crisis, but only by earning the exorbitant profits that he gained. Yet profit earned under the disguise of charity only serves Gates more unquenchable ambition for power, in my opinion. Rabbi Zakaria, writing for The Baffler, notes that the large NGOs funded by billionaires end up taking a place of governments, and this enables, quote, the individuals who control them, the NGOs, to function as quasi-autocracies, where Gates, Bezos, and Zuckerberg are free to meddle in anything, forcing the world's poorest to tolerate their megalomaniacal and stupid plans, end quote. Nobody ever elected any of these wealthy moguls to lead the world in any public health endeavor. Nevertheless, their wealth alone empowers them to do so. British sociology professor Lindsay McCoy described Bill Gates' philanthropy as, quote, asking an arsonist to hose down your house after he just set it on fire, end quote. And in his book, Winners Take All, Anhard Girihandras defined corporate-based philanthropy as, quote, market world, end quote, a world where billionaires like Gates play the market based upon who and what companies will most prosper from their charitable giving, in my opinion. This has been very evident in the enormous wealth Gates has acquired through his philanthropic giving to vaccine development for illnesses in the developing world while donating to the World Health Organization, which pilots widespread vaccination campaigns. The foundation is another, quote, network effect, end quote, designed to gain from a monopoly, again, favorable to Gates. Furthermore, Tim Schwab, author of The Bill Gates Problem, observes the oligarchical elite's fake philanthropy is best understood as, quote, tax-privileged political power, end quote. Of course, Gates's philanthropic enterprises are not limited to medicine, vaccines, and public health. In order to capture the power and influence of a monopolist, quote, network effect, funding needs to reach into other industries and private and public programs, ventures, and activities. The Foundation's funding, therefore, has penetrated chemical agriculture and farming, GMOs, public relations groups, such as the Cornell Alliance for Science and Emerging Agriculture, the latter, in our opinion, a covert coalition of academics to infiltrate the UN's decision-making regarding genetics and education. Hence, when you have a so-called objective group of people come together who are supposed to be the best and brightest that they can find at the UN or the World Economic Forum or the Business Roundtable, or the FDA, the CDC, the U.S. Public Health Service, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, all of these will say, we brought together the finest minds, the greatest experts on a given problem. Well, 
why don't you tell us where they get their money? Honorariums. There's research grants. There's stipends. There's consultation fees. There are profitability. Do they have patents in this area? Do they have any financial conflict of interest? And what is their, what are their political leanings that would give them a political and, ob- and obviously a bias towards what advice they're giving? Are these the same so-called experts that have green-lighted almost every vaccine without question, including the ones that now have been shown to be such a disaster, the worst medical public health debacle in world history? Why didn't you do your homework? Why didn't the media do its homework? Because the media is part of the problem. And so as a result, to give just the extent of how this has penetrated academia and scientific literature, the foundation has given universities $8 billion during the past 20 years and funded over 20,000 scientific papers in the Web of Science database. For example, the Chicago Times reported the foundation poured $4 billion into projects to transform American public school education by developing, quote, engagement pedometers, biometric devices students would wear to enable teachers to determine students' attention in the classroom. One critic charged Gates with viewing children as Pavlov dogs. Other draconian projects include, quote, temporary sterilization microchips, end quote, for women in low-income countries, nonprofit health education projects to undermine traditional medicine, like undermining Ayurveda in India, the Better Than Cash Alliance to Push for a Cashless Society, a massive 5G-structured smart city near Phoenix, Arizona, and solar engineering projects to dim the sun by high-altitude dispersion of chemical dust that would be in our water and soil and air and lungs. Finally, the Gates Foundation has become a major force in for-profit and non-profit media and journalism to control narratives, or influence at the very least narratives, favorable towards his investments. So who takes Bill Gates' money? How about ABC, PBS NewsHour, NPR, New York Times, Huffington Post, and The Guardian? Those are just some of the many health policy and medical magazines and journals that receive Gates' money. Does it influence them? I can't tell you that. I'm not going to speculate. You can do that for yourself. But why haven't any of these organizations written pieces as critical as this piece is about the truth? So what do we do? Where are we at? Where does this go? It's simple. We have three choices right now before this treaty becomes the sovereign treaty of the world, which will impact all of our lives. Like it or not, this is coming at you real fast. First, you must share this information with as many people as you can. Word of mouth counts, because this will not be found. Global research and a few other foundational places that tell the truth will will probably uh, post this later today. But even they are being algorithmed out of existence. So you sharing this, and it'll be on GaryAndAll.com, it'll also be on PRN.live, in the archives later today. Then let your legislators at the state level and federal level know, 
do not accept money, do not accept any influence from the lobbyists that support the World Health Organization treaty over pandemics. First of all, they don't have time to read it, and secondly, even if they read it, it doesn't mean that they would say no to the donations. We know that not all, but much of our legislative process at the state level, through Alex, the American Legislative Exchange Council, for the last 45 years has been captured. They write the rules, they prepare the bills, and they become laws. They have both the House and the Senate and the White House and all the special agencies in their control. So tell them no to this. Then start doing your own homework. Become citizen journalists. Write articles. Post them anywhere that you can. And then let us prepare for some demonstrations in Washington, D.C., peaceful demonstrations at the United Nations to say no to the World Health Organization Treaty. Those are some suggestions because they have all the power, all the money, all the media, all the politicians on their side. But the people are finally speaking out, ironically because of things not related to the World Health Organization or Bill Gates, things like the war in Ukraine. We were lied to. All those 500,000 Ukrainians had to die for nothing. Then look at Israel, conflict there, and our total alliance with Israel, instead of looking objectively and saying, shouldn't both the Israelis and the Palestinians have a right to their own quality of life. And then now look at the corruption in the United States. Look at the hearings happening now. They're exposing how people have gotten away with all kinds of illicit activities because they had political cover and media cover. All this is turning everything upside down. So at least because of their own unbridled excesses, We're allowed to see the truth. It's ugly, it's pernicious, but at least it's in front of us. We have a right to ask legitimate questions, to have legitimate concerns. We also have a right just to do nothing, and that won't give you a good outcome. I'm Gary Knoll. That is our report. And now instead of going to a break, we're going to one clip that ties this together. It's entitled Geneva, the Head of the Snake. And uh, it's very important because you're going to be hearing from a person who is the son of the co-founder of the World Economic Forum. And he has some interesting observations about how did Bill Gates get personal um, a personal indemnification? In effect, uh, nothing you can do to sue him in Switzerland. And what about the World Economic Forum? It's not a government agency. It, and it's been elected by no people, why does it have the sovereignty there also, just like an embassy? But it does. Here's the clip. Geneva looks beautiful. It's beautiful. It has a lake. It has this shadow. It's very peaceful. But there is a dark side to it. Everything evil in the world related to demo side unfortunately comes from Geneva. You have WHO in Geneva, you have Gavi, then you have the WEF, the World Economic Forum, which my father was a co-founder and left Klaus Schwab 
out of disgust in the early 80s that has diplomatic immunity. I, as a Swiss citizen, right here now, declare that the WEF is not eligible anymore for diplomatic immunity. I call on the Swiss authorities and security to arrest those people immediately. Why the WEF, WHO, Gavi, Big Pharma, Big Tech, Bill Gates, all advocated a global humanity injection by a bioweapon injecting nanolipids into 5.7 billion people. And we Swiss are hosting them? That's terrible. We cannot tolerate any entity that promotes poison to be injected into humanity. But you've done it. I'm the victim, I'm dying from it. And my mother too. It's a demo side and you'll be judged. It will be corrected in the name of humanity. Maybe there is a Geneva Swiss syndrome, but definitely there is a, a UN syndrome. Because people are so afraid of what's going on because the United Nations is occupied that people in there don't understand. Those who understand keep quiet or try to speak in different ways to help people to wake up. So if you understand that, you know that this was very easy to carve a world government. If you don't have a force that stops that and says, we the people is more important. And that's what we're doing now. We're trying to build a we the people movement that is very global, something completely different. But what is going on in Geneva is, is the opposite at the moment. There is no right to WHO to give any orders to dictate to the whole world like they have done. And the Global Alliance for Vaccine Immunization, Gavi, got total immunity from the Swiss government. You can find this, admin.lex in the Swiss database. Go and look. This is a coup d'etat, clearly. It's a global crime scene. And we are bringing little pieces of evidence to people with humility, because in science, you always have a doubt. It's a, it's a healthy doubt. And I think that is a very important attitude. I believe personally, Geneva has a better future. Swiss neutrality has to be restored. We have no future not being neutral. The young people who survive through this will be the guarantors, hopefully, that such institutions can never again take foothold in our blessed country. Never again. The snakehead is in Geneva. I call it a direct, clear and present danger to the Swiss population, but I can tell you it is being cut off. If you have a house of cards, and this is a house of cards of a criminal, one card pulled by justice and the whole card house collapses. But from hope alone it is not done. Everybody must now change the spirit. And all the vaccinated, the injected, knowing that they are poisoned. We are the masses. We are billions of people. Let's just stand up and say, stop. We will not comply. And in French, ni oubli, ni pardon. Because we are the guardians of humanity and our light obliterates 
the darkness of evil, always. This brings us up to the end of this program, but it doesn't bring us to the end of understanding all the different institutions that historically we've all trusted. We trusted uh, the American Cancer Society to give us the best information on the best approaches to both preventing and treating cancer. In fact, I found a photograph back in 1975 where I was on Wall Street leading a fundraising effort for the American Cancer Society. I have a photograph of it. I have a letter of them thanking me. Today, I would do no such lecture. If they wanted me to lecture, I would talk about the real causes of cancer. About 90 to 95 percent of the real causes of cancer are behavioral and lifestyle choices, our quality of our diet, the air that we breathe, and all the other things that impact us. But things have changed. So I don't trust any of the major institutions. Our religious institutions have betrayed us. When was the last time any major religious institution demonstrated against the corruption in any single area of our life. The cashless society. Why, does, why do they want a cashless society? Because they can control us, another control mechanism. So when you look at our military-industrial complex, our cybersecurity complex, our food complex, our financial complexes, our educational complex, our social complex, they've all betrayed us. And yet we've been immune to that because the mainstream media has been on their side consistently and not on our side. So I'm trying to raise the issue point by point. Like last week, we did a lot on censorship. Look, propaganda not only works in the sense that it gives you a message that they want you to believe in, like buy that hamburger, buy the french fries, you know, buy that pizza if you're hungry, but they don't tell you what's wrong with it. So propaganda has two steps. First, deceiving you in the truth. And second, denying you access to a truth. Because once you are conditioned to believe in something, whether it's a political party or a religion or a diet, how likely are you to question it, try to deconstruct your own beliefs? And hence, I'm taking section by section. Today, it was on the World Health organization, and it's draconian and really excessive needs to control the world because it won't just stop with pandemics or epidemics. It'll go right down to vaccine mandates, quote, to keep us healthy. And just the opposite is true. Look at the vaccines. Look at the consequences. Look at the sick and dead people who believed in them. And yet they were aware of this all along. So what we're doing is just trying to bring you a truth. And tomorrow we'll bring you more. Thank you all for listening and have a nice day.